Hello and welcome to another Coffee and Heroes podcast, Uh, once again with your host Alan. Uh, Tonight I am actually flying solo. Uh, Events have conspired against the guys to be here, unfortunately. Uh, Can't say enough good things about the guys, they give up their time, they rearrange stuff to make sure that we can all, you know, hook up and, you know, chat about comics, but unfortunately, you know, circumstances have dictated this week um, that uh, I am on my own, so I hope you are not bored by the sound of my voice. We will hopefully get a, uh, back together again sometime towards the end of this week and then maybe we can have a quick chat with the guys about their favourite titles. Um, this is a podcast dedicated solely to the um, to me breaking down what my favourite comics were that were released last week on the 4th of December. Uh, a really good week actually, uh, but before I get to the, uh, the comics, I just wanted to sort of throw a few bits of info out there regarding um, some news in the last week. Uh, we did just have their Brazil Comic Con. Uh, it's still actually going on as as we speak, but a lot of people were looking forward to this one. I know I was personally for a first look at Wonder Woman 84 footage. This one's been a bit of a strange one, I think. Patty Jenkins has said, uh, the director, has said that uh, she's actually had this movie in the can for quite a while. I know their original release date was going to be, I think, towards Christmas. I think it should have been out by now or around this time. But they're actually holding it back until next year so that it's released around the same time as the first one, which, you know, of course, you know, gained tremendous success. So I can understand them wanting to replicate that. But at the same time, you know, I would say DC's on a bit of a roll at the moment. Warner Brothers with their movies, you know, Shazam was very well received. So was Aquaman. So has Joker been. So I would almost strike while the iron's hot. But then again, I suppose they don't want to go up against Star Wars Rise of Skywalker which is understandable enough it's going to close up that saga. Although, you know, after The Last Jedi, I can't say my excitement levels are too high for it. Uh, But I thought the trailer looked great. I thought great soundtrack with New Order on there. It's obviously set in the 80s. There looked to be a good balance of comedy. There was great striking visuals to it. Um, Looked like some great action scenes. And yes, that was Diana using her lasso of truth, riding lightning. I hope that a lot of the cool stuff has been held back. I'm the kind of guy these days, I'll watch one trailer and then I'm done. Uh, I don't want to have too much spoil, to be honest, so I'm happy enough to uh, just avoid everything else until it comes out, but that'll be one I definitely look forward to. Uh, On the DC Warner Brothers front, uh, they also officially confirmed uh, sequels to the aforementioned Shazam and Aquaman. No starting um, dates or anything like that, but they have confirmed that they are moving forward on both of those. Uh, there was also a little guest appearance um, via video of uh, Matt Reeves as he was sort of saying hello to the con but saying that he'll be back there next year. He's already announced that he'll have a panel there for the Batman. A lot of people think that that'll just be the first trailer. It's, uh, it's amazing that you got to you know, advertise these things so far in advance but that'll definitely be something to look forward to next year as that movie comes together more. Uh, what else did we have? We had Marvel, uh, Kevin Feige talking about Marvel TV, um, just confirming that Moon Knight, Miss Marvel and She-Hulk, which are all going to be TV shows, I believe, uh, put on to Disney Plus. They're all on target for late next year. Uh, half an hour just before I actually started recording here, the trailer dropped for Ghostbusters, which is titled Ghostbusters Afterlife. This is a direct sequel to the first two movies. It's ignoring the 2016 uh, soft reboot. Uh, I can't really comment if that's for better or for worse. I, I, I never watched that Ghostbusters movie. I It just didn't appeal to me. And it just, I don't know if it's terrible. I don't know if it's amazing. It just, it just didn't appeal to me in the way that the original two movies did. So 
but I have to admit, the trailer for this one has me quite hyped. I believe the original cast will be returning. Uh, I thought the trailer worked really well. It built up really nicely. And I think Paul Rudd looks like he'll be good value in this as well. So uh, it definitely looks slightly um, influenced, shall we say, by Stranger Things. But then again, what isn't these days, given what a monster hit that has been. Um, so yeah, I'll look forward to uh, to Ghostbusters. Uh, the only other thing is that, uh, and I can't resist doing this because hopefully Keith will listen to this. I know he'd be disappointed if I didn't, you know, talk the Schneider cut of Justice League at some point. But you know, all the all the talk around this is frankly getting out of hand. <laughs> they either need to release it or just leave it. But there were a few people, a few interesting people asked about it this week. Um, one of the writers of Justice League, or co-writer, I should say, Chris Terrio, who also worked on Batman v Superman. He is uh, out promoting Rise of Skywalker at the moment, and he co-wrote that with J.J. Abrams. And he was quoted as saying, I have thoughts about the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I do have them, but I won't talk about it right now. We'll have a date in a couple of months, and we'll talk about it then, because, you know, that is a really interesting topic that I have not spoken about yet. You know, it almost seems like they're giving it a timetable. I, I have to believe that they're going to release this thing sometime soon, um, given that the writer's now coming out, the actors have come out. Schneider himself posted a uh, picture of all the film reels in the in the can, so to speak, uh, with his cut running in of 219 minutes. And as well as the uh, the writer, Chris Terrio, there was also the cinematographer, um, Fabian Wagner, and he basically said that maybe 10% of what was shot with Schneider made it into the finished Justice League film. So that it doesn't necessarily mean that 90% of Whedon's version is new. Uh, it just might be alternate dialogue or versions of existing scenes that were slightly different. But you have to think with all this coming out bit by bit by bit there, you know, they're stoking the flames. They certainly seem like they're getting people excited for it. And I think it'll sell. Um, I know I'm curious to see it. I, I must say again, I don't necessarily think this is going to be the be-all and end-all superhero movies. At this point, it's just a curiosity. Uh, I would I would like to see it. I would like to see Affleck in the role again. I would like to see some more Henry Cavill Superman stuff. And I'd just like to see what could have been, you know, and that's, that's what all it is for me at this point, just a curiosity. You know, they're not going to course-correct the, the entire DC universe at this point because it's, it's moving on quite fine without Schneider, to be honest. And... As I said before, I am looking forward to uh, Matt Reeves' Batman. It seems to be coming together with a really strong cast. So, again, I just want to see this early curiosity more than anything. And the amount they're talking about it has to make you think that uh, they are probably going to release it at some point. You know, if Snyder has finished it and maybe put some of his own money into finishing it, at the end of the day, if Warner Brothers release it, they'll just make money out of a movie that didn't make enough money in the first place. So I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, but anyway, that was just a few bits and pieces just about uh, uh, movie, comics movie news, shall we say, from the last week. But let's uh, jump into why we're here, which is why uh, is the releases for the comics. Now, there was some great stuff last week. I must admit that I'm sort of back on form with my maybe DC bias. Uh, there was one or two good Marvel ones as well, but I thought this was a really strong week for DC, uh, including my, my pick of the week. But... I'll just run through a couple of honourable mentions first. I mean, normally we would go through all of our picks first, but obviously the, the guys aren't here. You know, we could have had a good chat about it. So I'll just have a, a quick couple of honourable mentions, and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll go into a bit more detail for my pick of the week. Um, I did say a lot of DC this week, but I'll actually start with a couple of indie titles. Uh, the first one was a, a brand new number one called The Butcher of Paris. 
this was one that is written by Stephanie Phillips and art by Dean Cox. There seems to be a real, <clears throat> pardon me, a real rake of indie comics at the moment that seem to be concerned with retelling historical events or retelling stories within those historical events. The Butcher of Paris is actually based on a true story. There's a little blurb just at the start on the on the inside of the issue uh, that says it's the height of the German occupation of Paris during World War II, and the Nazis are not the only ones the citizens have to fear. A serial killer is using the events of this time to cover his activities, a fact which the authorities are now just starting to discover. Uh, I thought this was a really, really strong first issue. I thought that the art was really striking. It has that sort of classic noir 40s movie look to it, I have to say. Uh, you're introduced to a few different characters. Um, of course, you've got the Nazis there that are just absolutely horrible people. Um, but there's, there is a lot of sort of a lot of aggressive scenes at the start with just Nazis taking in people and accusing people unnecessarily. You know, if you're Jewish, you're in trouble. If you're in uh, if you're in Paris, but I thought this was a really great read. It, it did take a little while, I thought, to just get going. Um, you know, it's only really towards the end of the issue where you start to get the actual events starting to come into focus, and it's where local cops actually discover this. Uh, this basement in a house and at the bottom of the basement is a furnace with body parts lying out of it and a operating table with a meat cleaver and severed leg and all this kind of thing but yeah it was a really really fun well the fun's a weird word to say i suppose i just a really intriguing first issue uh, i i do like the idea that you know Sam like the idea is a strange thing, I suppose, as well. I'm really intrigued by the idea of a serial killer actually being able to perform these kind of things because you would think the Nazis, certainly during World War II, were the absolute epitome of evil. But for someone to actually use that as cover to you know, carry out their own misdeeds and their own murders is surely a level above once again. Uh, so, yeah, just really intriguing. I think it's going to be just a wee... Um, a wee mini series. Dark Horse seem to be pumping these out at the moment with sort of four issue mini series, that kind of thing. Uh, really recommend the great cover as well with a sort of meat cleaver with blood dripping off it, but the blood has actually made up the uh, the Eiffel Tower on the front. Another indie title I really dug is Death or Glory. Uh, this is a ongoing series by Rick Remander. He of Deadly Class, Black Science, Low, X Force, Too Many Dimension. People who come into the store are probably sick listening to me talking about him, given my love of Deadly Class. Uh, art is by Bengal. Uh, so this one is, this is basically an action movie and a comic. Uh, it Almost every issue seems to have a car chase in it of some kind, and the art is so dynamic and so interesting that you just can't help but enjoy it. Uh, the, the basis of the story is that there's a, a young woman in it called Glory, Owen, who grew off, who grew up off the grid. Uh, she was raised by her dad, Red, and then like a ragtag of drifters and long haulers, those kind of guys. But uh, Red ends up getting sick, and he doesn't have any health insurance or driver's license, any ID. Obviously, he's a bit of a drifter, um, so he needs a, a liver transplant. But of course, he's not going to be able to get it by normal means. So Glory basically takes things into her own hands, and she tries to intercept this. Uh, the smuggling operation so that she can raise the money to essentially buy her dad a liver. Uh, so this is uh, into the second arc, so it is. Uh, there's some really class stuff in the uh, in this issue, but 
the 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 love of this book, as much as Oliver Mender's writing, and it is great, is the art uh, by Bengal. It it really does have that European flavor to it. It's very colorful. There's some really interesting characters in here, um, you know. But as you as you go through the book, as I say, there's always that point where there's massive action. You know, in this case, it's not so much a uh, car chase, but a build up to one with a little bit of a covert operation to take out all these guys they're they're in the middle of the desert um people are starting to catch up with them who they've you know ticked off at this point and there's a bit of a shootout but it sort of ends where there's this uh this part where the main boss is like get me them bodies and there's this huge airplane hangar and there's just car after truck after long-haul vehicle just getting ready to go out and try and catch up to these guys as I say, it's it's basically a big action ride in a comic book. Uh, a lot of fun. The first um, trade is available if you did want to catch up. The first trade contains the first five issues. And uh, yeah, just a lot of fun, Death or Glory. You know, it's not the kind of book that you're going to read that's going to, you know, make you think or, you know, delve into character motivations and all this kind of thing. It's very cut and dry, good guys, bad guys. But it's just a lot of fun, uh, I have to say, which is sometimes, you know, what you want. Um, I mean, I'll jump on to uh, the, the one Marvel one that stuck out for me was X-Men number three. Uh, I, I must say I do still prefer X-Force at this point, but X-Men three was, uh, it was great just for the characters they introduced. Uh, so essentially the whole book is being set up by what they're going to do in the aftermath of Charles Xavier being shot and how people were able to... Um, infiltrate Krakoa and so forth but there's these characters that get introduced called uh, horticulture um, and what they are is essentially women in like their 60s 70s 80s who are not happy about the idea behind Krakoa they worked for pharmaceutical companies and they were trying to generate things that would help save the world and then these mutants just come in and say we've got all these cures but you can only have it if you live by our rules uh, it is just interesting as uh Obviously, we talk in this podcast a lot about uh, Once in Future and this kick-ass granny character. That's what I was reminded of in this issue of, of X-Men. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Hickman's doing really good stuff with uh, with X-Men. Again, it hasn't quite caught up to X-Force for me, certainly in terms of plot progression and in terms of uh, I love the art of X-Force and I love the, the horror tinge to it, but uh it is really really fun uh as well x-men and agree it's just great world building you know and that's that's what essentially these x books are to me you know i i speak to a lot of people about it in store you know not everybody can afford to read all the x-men books but you know if there's only one you could get get x-force if you can stretch the two go x-force and x-men and then you know build from there so uh yeah hickman continuing to do great work on x-men which leads us into a bit of a DC corner for me anyway. Again, if I'm chatting to the guys that are in the week and we're able to you know, record a wee bit, I should be able to get their picks. I would imagine Keith will have some uh, Marvel stuff, of course. Uh, we shall wait and see, I guess. But uh, yeah, for me, there was, there was five DC books that were a cut above the rest this week. One that was utterly, utterly superb, which I'll get to last. Uh, you'll be surprised to know it's not even a Batman book. But I will still start with a couple of Batman books. Uh, <clears throat> this this was almost my pick of the week, and that's because it's nearly my pick of the week every week. But Tom King continuing to do the Lord's work on uh, Batman. 
So we got up this week with Batman 84, which is his second to last issue. Batman 84 is basically a breakdown of everything Thomas Wayne has contributed to this story or everything that he has witnessed during this story. Uh, it's an interesting setup the way they do it. It, it kicks off with, you know, you think there's going to be a big massive fight between Batman and um, Thomas Wayne, Flashpoint ba Batman. But he starts relaying what he has actually been doing all this time. What I actually love about this, and it's something that's really cleverly done, is that you can kind of understand Thomas Wayne's motivations. You know, Thomas Wayne is a man who's stricken by grief. The world he comes from is a world where Bruce Wayne, his son, was killed in front of him. His uh, wife then went insane. She essentially became that Earth's version of the Joker. Uh, he is happy killing in that world because he's so grief-stricken because of what happened to his son. And here he is in another, you know, part of the multiverse. He's got a chance to save his son. He he knows the dark path he went down as Batman and the toll it's taken on him as a person, on his soul. And he's now got the opportunity to basically say to his son, go and live a happy life. You know, you've got a woman who loves you. You've got all of this, uh, all this money, all this power, all this influence. You know, you've got a family around you, you've got, you know, the Dick Grayson and you've got your son and you've got Tim Drake and you've got Barbara Gordon. You know, he's essentially, you know, in his own twisted, weird way, trying to say to his son, look, have a good life. This this um, mission that you're on as Batman is ultimately going to be fruitless. It's, it, it's, it's never going to end and you're going to improve things a minuscule amount, but you're going to give yourself a lifetime of unhappiness. And... You know, towards the end of this issue, you know, it is sort of a case of where he says, um, he says at the end to him, you know, is this now enough? And of course, Bruce being the stubborn bastard that he is and has committed to his, you know, mission as he is, he essentially goes, no, and they're going to, uh, they're going to have their big face off. Next week, uh, December 18th, actually, is, uh, is the last issue of King's Run. I, I may shed a tear and I may be quite sad in the store that day because this has been wonderful, but it's also the kind of thing that in a weird way I'm looking forward to ending, because I can't wait to dive into it all from the start with all the graphics, um, as well as collecting the single issues, I do collect the uh, the hardcover trades, because this run reads so, so well in long form. So uh, yeah, Batman 84, a special shout out actually as well to Jorge Fornes, who's the artist on this cover, uh, on this issue I should say, Mikel Yannon actually does the cover. Fornes's art, it's it's epic but understated it's very like david mazzuccelli very year one vibes um and it really does convey batman as an otherworldly figure i think uh great use of shadow very noir um i would love to see him do more on the character it might not be a coincidence to say that you know he's worked some he's worked on batman but he's also worked on one of my favorite marvel characters which is daredevil as well great great artist i mean this issue is good just for the art alone even if you're not caught up in the story, just give the art a go because it is, it is fantastic. Uh, so from Batman 84, we'll jump on to Batman Universe number six. This is the end of the, uh, the Batman story. Brian Michael Bendis and Nick Darrington have been, artists Nick Darrington have been telling through, uh, originally through the Walmart specials, but then collected as a mini series here. This has been a fun ride for me. Uh, I wouldn't personally want it to go any further than six issues. Uh, but the six issues that I have got, I think have been pretty great. 
Uh, there's they've managed to incorporate a lot of legacy characters in here. You've got Vandal Savage, you've got Classic Era Nightwing, you've got the Green Lanterns. Uh, you at different points in the story, you've had Jonah Hex. Uh, you have Deathstroke. You've had the Riddler. Uh, but yeah, just great, great fun. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's not a kick in the arse off Batman sixty six, but for six issues, that is a good thing. I think um, there's even an epic double page spread where like Batman's chasing Vandal Savage through time, and as he as he's chasing after him through time, they're chasing through all these sort of classic moments in DC lore, like they go past Superman as he's, you know, picking up the car on the front cover of Action Comics. You got the Metal Man in the background and another panel, you got Mr. Miracle in another panel. They go through Themyscira. They go underwater and go past Aquaman. Uh, just really cool stuff. And of course it ends with the uh, with the eternal line of, you know, essentially I'm Batman, you know. Six issues, a lot of fun, even if you haven't picked up the single issues, I know the trade's due early next year, and if you're just looking at a fun, one-off Batman story, I think this is uh, this is where you go. Uh, three more just to go through, so Justice League 37. Uh, Justice League for me has been a little bit up and down, we've, we've covered it many times on this podcast, so I won't go into too much detail again, but for me, when, when Justice League is good, it is great. And the last couple of issues uh, have been great. This is all the stuff for the end of Doom War, uh, or Justice Doom War, I should say. This is part eight. And essentially, this issue kicks off where there's a massive standoff. So you already had that kick-ass moment in the last issue where Batman essentially uh, turned the Hall of Justice into a flying fortress and a weapon so that they could take on the Hall of Doom. And it kicks off where the two of them are facing each other. And, you know, Lex is very confident. He's saying our army is endless. We have the mother of all creation on our side. Please tell me you're smart enough to surrender. And then it cuts to Batman and Starro, or mini Starro is in beside him, who always calls Batman dad. But uh, he comes up with a great line of, I got news for you. He's nowhere near that smart. In fact, I think we're all about to get real stupid in here. Right, dad? And Batman says, so stupid it hurts, kid. And then Batman says, league on my mark. And uh, Lex says, then you will die as fools. And then you have two of the best pages of art, I think, this year. Uh, Jorge Jimenez um, is the artist on this one, and his art is phenomenal. You've got two double-page spreads in a row. You've got one side of it, which is the the Hall of Doom in the background, uh, hovering in the air with all of their minions essentially running at the page. And then you flick it over, and then you've got all the heroes on the other one. You know, with a, a line of dialogue coming out from Hall of Justice, pr- presumably from Batman, and it's League for Justice. And they're just running headfirst in the battle. And you've got everyone there from Jay Garrick, sort of classic era Flash. You've got Green Arrow, you've got Supergirl, you've got Plastic Man, Black Lightning, um, you've got Black Canary, you've got, uh, you know, Flash, you've got Damian Wayne leading the charge, which I absolutely love. I'd love to know how he's keeping up with that. Uh, Jay Garrick is the Flash, but there you go. Uh, you got Shazam there, Beast Boy. Uh, you've just got a bit of everything there. Uh, Blue Beetle in the background there as well. This whole issue just feels big and epic and fun. And that's what this Justice League series should have been the whole way through. I do think it's sort of suffered under the weight of its own... Um, you know, essentially the amount of setup they were doing the whole way through. Snyder has such big ideas and... Keith has said it before, and I do agree to a degree with his cosmic stuff. He does let it get away from him a little bit. 
But then you get stuff like this at the end, which is just absolutely wonderful. Um, I mean, there's a part where Perpetua essentially grabs a planet and just bowls it, you know, baseball style at another planet just to uh, blow it up. But uh, what she actually does is help the heroes out in a way. But uh, yeah, you get right to the, the last page and you've got this beautiful page of art. You know, all the members of the Justice League there uh, just encased in light and clearly supercharged and it says, you know, next to the big showdown. So Justice League for me has been brilliant for the last maybe 10 issues. And I am going to read it all again from the start. Again, there's a really beautiful deluxe trades come out, which I'm maybe going to um, treat myself to this Christmas and just read through it again because... I think maybe all those ideas I said, maybe Schneider let him get away from himself a little bit. Maybe they'll read better in a trade where you've got all the information there. So uh, really beautiful variant for this as well by Tony Daniel, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, so yeah, that's Justice League 37. Then we come to another one, which um, I have a sneaky suspicion this might actually be Keith's pick this week, but no doubt he'll tell me I'm wrong because he'll just want to do a bit of Marvel just to uh, even up the score a bit. But Again, this is a series we talk about all the time, uh, written by Greg Rucka, uh, art by Mike Perkins, and this series is Lois Lane. So this is Lois Lane number six. Uh, it gives you a very helpful thing at the start saying this story takes place directly after Event Leviathan number six. Now, in Event Leviathan six, whether you liked it or whether you didn't, it does seem to have been a little polarizing. I personally enjoyed it, and I love that it's all tying to these titles. Uh, but at the end of it, General Lane died. What this issue essentially is, is uh, this issue is Lois going to his funeral. But at the same time, it's interspersed with all of these flashbacks to different events uh, in her life where her father was there, whether they were good or they were bad. You know, the issue is largely silent. Um, you know, you've got this scene at the start where... You know, they have this big funeral procession and then the cannons get fired and, you know, Clark's standing beside his wife. Jonathan Kent's at the end there as well. Um, then it'll cut back to Lois. An era in Lois Lane's life we probably haven't seen much of, but she's actually the rebellious teenager. You know, she's wearing a boob tube, mini skirt, tall boots, and uh, she's basically going out off base because obviously she's a, quote, army brat. So she's grew up on base and... You know, she's sarcastically, you know, saluting her father and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it's a really nice tender scene, you know, where he ultimately ends it by saying, you know, I'm asking because I'm your father and I worry about you because I love you. And you can see Lois sort of wiping a little tear away, but still being sarcastic. Sir, yes, sir. He sort of walks off fine. You win. You're dismissed. Uh, again, you've more funeral stuff. You have a great scene. This is one of the scenes of the year in any book for me. But it's a scene where Lois is uh, meeting up with General Lane, or her dad, I should say. Uh, and it's a conversation about why he doesn't trust Superman and why she does. You know, you know, he's saying things like, first, he's not a man, he's an alien. Uh, second, to use a tired phrase, trust but verify, and there's still a lot of verification to be done. Um, you know, she even sort of... He even accuses her of being slightly biased and defensive and all the rest. You know, I'm looking at facts, son. The facts are that this Superman seems to like you. It sort of ends with her saying, you know, I do like him back. But, you know, first of all, my principles come first. I'm a good reporter. I stick to the facts. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, even, again, the scene ends really nicely where there's a bottle of champagne and Lois says, I'm buying. And he says, do you have to fight me about everything, Lois? Let me be proud of you for once. 
and then it flicks back and you've got all the the funeral stuff again and Lois is you know inconsolable Clark takes the folded up flag um again you've got this whole scene where Lois has obviously got Jonathan there with him with her I love the wee spit curl for Jonathan lovely detail but uh it sort of ends where it's like look at your granddad's son all we want at the end of the day is to be people he can be proud of um and then it all sort of ends with this nice scene in a bar where you know they're all having the wake and stuff like that but yeah I continue to love this series um you know, it sort of ends with this, again, really powerful moment. And again, Greg Ruck is just such a great writer. But Lois is sitting having a little glass of wine. Just in front of her, there is a photo frame uh, with a picture of her dad in it and a bottle of whiskey in front. She's obviously poured him a drink to say cheers. But the previous scene before that was where he was saying he's willing to try, you know, he's willing to try and understand Superman and all this kind of stuff. And the scene ends with Clark comforting her, saying, and Lois says, he was so close, Clark. He could have understood. He could have seen it. He could have believed in Superman. So, yeah, again, I can't recommend this series enough. I talk about it a lot. Keith talks about it a lot. There's been a lot of requests in store for when the trade first comes out. When the trade hits, I, I will certainly publicize it because it is just brilliant, brilliant writing. Uh, and something that's outside the norm of the traditional superhero stuff. And again, that's why I love it so much. I love the idea of investigative journalism within this, you know, universe where all these superheroes exist and uh, just like a, a normal person being able to, you know, essentially get through that world, you know. Um, but yeah, anything Greg Rocca, always recommend and that is brilliant stuff. It's actually up there with, you know, probably in the top five DC series of the year, I think. Uh, but we will leave that and we will get to my pick of the week. Uh, which, you know, is just beautifully segues on from Lois Lane, uh, from one of the top five DC series of the year to what I think personally is both the DC and the series of the year. I mean, those are big words. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man Life Story. I'm a huge fan of House of X and uh, Powers of Ten. I do think that those are brilliant titles and deservedly up there with the best of the year. But after reading issue six of Superman Up in the Sky, I've decided that for me, unless something comes out of nowhere in the next two weeks, maybe doing like Hawk 12, who knows, uh, <laughs> knocks me for six, I think this is going to be series of the year. Uh, six issue miniseries, it is again in a similar idea to Batman Universe, this is the, the title that was originally published in the Walmart 100 page specials that they've now collected in single issues and then along the way trade. I'm so happy this story came out. You know, I one of the things I like having in the store are quintessential stories for certain characters. So if someone says, I'm looking to get into Batman, here's Court of Isles. Oh, cool. I'm looking to get into Spider-Man. Here's Spider-Man Life Story. Uh, I'm looking to get into, I don't know, looking to get into Captain America. Excellent. Here's Winter Soldier. I'm looking to get into Superman. This is not my pick. Uh... Superman of the Sky, so six issues. Uh, it is written by Tom King, so again, I'm going to sound like a fanboy, but I don't care. Uh, art is by Andy Kubert, uh, and then shouts out for both the uh, inker, Sandra Hope, and the colorist, Brad Anderson, and also Clayton Cowles on letters. This is just brilliant, brilliant storytelling, and despite being Superman of the Sky, of course, it starts with Batman <laughs> in Gotham. A little scene sort of saying, yes, Wonder Woman, they're here too. Essentially what has happened here is 
Clark has been going the whole way across the galaxy. The, the basic crux of the story, a little girl is abducted from Earth and people keep saying, Superman, you have to save her. And, and at the very start, it's all about him weighing up, you know, protecting the entire world slash going after one girl. And, you know, he eventually, well, not even eventually, he comes to it quite quickly, but he comes to the conclusion that if he can't save one, one girl, what's the point? So he goes after her and then each issue has been him going further across the galaxy trying to find her. So essentially Superman is now being held captive by the person who, you know, abducted this girl. The reason they've dragged Superman away is so that they can invade Earth. So you have all these scenes with, you know, um Adam Strange, you have these scenes with Hawkman, you have scenes with Satana and Chile, you have scenes with Aquaman the Indian Ocean, and they're all fighting against this alien invasion. While at the same time that's juxtaposed with Superman being held down by uh, Corinthium Steel, which is the strongest metal in the universe. These chains are used to haul stars between galaxies. They are unbreakable. And as such, your effort here is wasted. Do you understand Superman? Do you know what unbreakable means? And of course, Superman just breaks them, you know, with quite a lot of effort. But he comes back with, no, sir, I do not. Um, so then, you know, he gets attacked by this... Uh, giant robot so to speak and again this is all the classic villain monologue is what i love about this as well it plays with those sort of you know cliches but it does it really well so this giant robot's attacking him then he's like i'm a man of ample resources i was bored for fun i decided to take over the universe so i worked for years spent those resources uh you know i constructed this technology it can stop you superman superman basically beats it again goes no sir it cannot uh again you flash back to earth you got this invasion still happening. You know, the Flash is taken down in France. Diana's taken down in Paradise Island. Martian Manhunter's taken down in Kuwait. Uh, Swamp Thing's taken down in the United States. It's, all this hopelessness is spreading all around Earth. And then Superman it cuts back to him and it's like, you may defeat one, but I did not just make one. You know, I, dis I deployed all of them. Most of them are, you know, deployed cracking your world. And they're like, but there's enough here, Superman, enough to defeat you. And of course, Superman retorts, no, sir, there are not. Um... But even like Batman is struggling in Gotham, you know, he's being taken down and he actually puts up a, he puts up a, a distress call and he's like, this is Batman on the Justice League open channel. I need backup in Gotham. Anyone left? I'm fighting. I fear that I have, I need immediate, please, anyone respond, respond. So Clark has essentially taken down all of these robots still up in space. Um, they, you know, they're still villain monologue, you know, like all of them, you will fall. He's like, no, sir, I will not. Uh, and Clark essentially is going through all these robots. It, it, ha it cuts back to Earth again. You know, your champions have failed you. There is no hope. You will now perish. Um, you know, you, you even get like a really cool line again about why this girl was taken. And it was, it's like, do you think she's special? She's no one. I took her because she's no one. I fought you not to protect her, but to stop you from finding my army. I just needed an earthling to examine, to understand, you know, so I took a no one, insignificant, no one cares about her. She's worthless. And then he was towards again, no, sir, she is not. It's just absolutely brilliant, spine tingling writing. Um, and the thing is, Batman actually, or sorry, Superman takes down the main robot, so to speak. So they all sort of stand down. They all just instantly stopped. And... There's all this Justice League sort of channel talking where it's like, Batman, I'm here, Flash, ready, this is Hawkman. It's Wonder Woman, we won? Yes, we won, I don't, they're just robots, they're controlled, someone just defeated the controller. And there's this, you know, Batman's looking up at the sky and uh, 
you know, he hears over the intercom, Clark, and he goes, yes, hi, we were in need, and he's Superman. So, you know, we're secure again, even though he's not on it, but because of him, it now cuts back to the little girl. Now, this is the girl that he has been coming after all of these issues, and she's sitting in the dark, she's got her little Superman teddy bear, she's holding it tightly, you know, it's like, don't worry, please, he'll come, I know he will, no matter what happens, we won't give up, he wouldn't give up, so we won't, and then Superman just like crashes the crashes the prison open, and he's like, yes ma'am, you are going home, um, but this is where the, I mean, that all that stuff's great already, it's all spine tingling, it's brilliant action, it's great dialogue, but for me, the best part of the issue is the second half, because the second half is Clark flying back to Earth, but taking this girl with him. And he basically puts her in like this little space so she can breathe. And she's like, how far is it? And he says, it's pretty far, the other side of the universe, but we'll get there as fast as we can. Using these radios, we can talk the whole time. Just let me know if you have any questions. And she's like, am I safe? Am I going to get hurt? No, it's not safe. And no, you're not going to get hurt. I'll take care of you, I promise. The, the second half of the issue essentially just becomes her asking all these different questions and it's just so much fun. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. You know, how do you fly? Kryptonians live under a red sun. I grew up under a yellow sun. The sun makes you fly. The yellow radiation signature empowers my DNA. I use that to fly. But something makes you go. Did you ever have airplane club at school? No. I did. It's like physics. Something has to push back to go forward. Isn't that right? Yes, but. So, like, what pushes back when you go? Like, I don't get it. It's complicated. Oh, Superman. Yes, Alice? Do you fire stuff out of your bottom and you just don't want to tell people about it? Because you can tell me. I won't tell. Um, just all these great conversations, you know, great lines of dialogue. You know, they stop on one home on one of these alien worlds because Clark has, has just helped someone out. She asks, why did you help him? Because he needed it. Don't other people need help? They do. Are you going to help everyone? No, but I'm going to try. Uh... And then <laughs> the the page of the book that you just, as a Batman fan, I just got a real kick out of this. So there's this great splash page, Batman and Superman are fighting. So she says, okay, if you and Batman fought, who would win? Clark replies, the Joker. I'm serious, for real, who would win? Batman. For real? For real. Aren't you stronger, I'm faster, and you have laser eyes and he doesn't? Yes. So you would win? No, he would win. Do you even know what you're saying? I do. How would he win? I'd let him. What? Why? If you knew Batman, you'd know it would mean a lot to him. So? So he's gone through a lot. He deserves some happiness. Don't you deserve happiness? Winning fights doesn't make me happy. What does? My family, my work, my dog, this. This? You, Alice, talking to you, saying that you're good, that makes me happy. More than beating Batman? Yes, a lot more. Just, oh, so, so good. Just reading through it again just really makes me want to go back to the start and, uh, to read it all but uh yeah I'll, I'll i'll sort of leave it there with you know not spoiling how it all ends but i honestly can't say enough good words about this title uh i'm a huge fan of the art uh i'm a huge fan of the writing the colors you know this series for me came out of absolutely nowhere i jumped on it just because it's tom keen and you know i can't resist the tom keen title uh, but i was absolutely blown away by this and genuinely this is series of the year for me uh, it, it just doesn't get any better than this in comics it's emotional, it's heroic it's funny, it looks great, it has a, a great plot, it has action uh, yeah I probably will give Life Story and House of X powers of 10 another read before the end of the year but 
I, I don't think it's going to overtake that. It just gives me goosebumps reading it. Uh, yeah, so that was that was the the best of what I enjoyed last week. Anyway, um, one thing I suppose I should look at is uh, titles that are coming out this week. So there are uh, quite a good number of Kraken uh, titles this week, actually, and some really really interesting ones. Uh, when it comes to myself, my my pull list nearly always ends up being about twenty plus titles, but um, the, I'll just pick out a few that I'm, I'm really really looking forward to. Uh, we've talked a bit about how Boom Studios keep you know killing it. Um, there's a series coming out called Red Mother. Uh, I'm looking forward to this week, uh, which is a psychological horror series called Red Mother. It's uh, written by Donnie Lockhart and Jeremy Juan on art. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. That's a new number one. You've got Magicians number two. I've chatted about before. Uh, Something is killing the children number four. If you listen to this podcast before, you'll know how much we. We dig that title. Uh, when it comes to DC stuff, probably the one I'm looking forward to most is actually no, I, I can't even pick one straight away. Uh, Curse the White Knight number five. Curse the White Knight continues to be awesome. Uh, Dark Knight Returns: The Golden Child. This is a one shot by Frank Miller. It takes place in the Dark Knight Returns uh, universe. Uh, that mostly follows Carrie Kelly. Detective Comics 1017, the pre-orders are, are big on, uh, simply because this is a one-shot Tom Taylor story. He of Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man and Deceased. Uh, Dollhouse Family number two, I really, really dug the first one. Uh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, really looking forward to, to that. Uh, Superman number 18, that's going to be a big one, which is Superman being essentially unmasked. Uh, Superman revealing his identity to the world and... There's a lot of hype around that, and I'm seeing a lot of um, I'm seeing a lot of positive reviews for that on Twitter and so forth already. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. You got new Deadly Class number 42. You got a new Joe Hill horror series over at IDW called Dying Is Easy. Uh, what else we got? Undiscovered Country number two. That's a big one for me. Uh, again, if you've listened to this before, you would know uh, again how much we have absolutely loved. Well. How much Keith and I loved Undiscovered Country number one. Uh, Roddy will still read number two. Uh, so he will. And then Marvel-wise again, yeah, some good stuff. Annihilation Scourge, Silver Surfer number one. Uh, you've got Doom 2099, part of the 2099 Spider-Man event. And that one's written by Chip Zdarsky. Uh, you've got the House of X, Powers of Ten, uh, Trade. Big hard, deluxe hardcover coming out this week as well. Punisher Soviet number two, which I think will be awesome because the first one was great. And then just one final shout out, which is Symbiote Spider-Man Alien Reality. So this is a a second series, uh, I believe written by Peter David for Symbiote Spider-Man after the previous five issue miniseries that was was pretty special. Uh, So I believe it is still going to be Greg Land on art as well. So it's the same team that did the first uh, Symbiote Spider-Man, so again, another five-issue miniseries. I will look forward to that. And I say finally was going to be that, but finally is X-Force 3 because X-Force has been awesome. So, yeah, I hope you didn't, um, I hope you weren't too bored by just listening to my voice this time. Uh, again, we've got some uh, cool stuff coming up soon with the podcast. We're getting ready to interview Matthew Rosenberg. Um, I'll get the other guys to chime in with their reviews as well. Uh, I've already tried to chat to as many regulars as possible. We're going to be moving store in Smithfield to a different unit. So looking forward to that. So yeah, all go at the moment. Um, if you want to pop into the store and chat about any of these titles or 
pre-order any of these titles or pick up any of these titles uh we're down in smithfield market belfast uh and that will do for me for now so i will look forward to seeing you guys in store Mm -hmm.